And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned in to anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was... Welcome to... Anything is potable! The Boston Celtics Podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Jay King, one very important question that I have to ask you. Are the Celtics back? Obviously, they beat the Heat, bro. <laughs> the best team in the league? The team that Scal <laughs> said was the best team in the league probably 45 times before the game? Seems like they might be back. They held the uh, team to 80 points on consecutive games. The last time a Celtics team did that, I think, was in 2012. Uh, yeah, it's weird I, to see games in the in the 70s. You don't You don't see that very often these days. No, it's because of the new ball and you can um, really attack people or your hands now. Attack people with your hands. Yeah, that's what defense much. is these days. <laughs> well, more than it used to be, which is good, which is good. It We needed we needed a little more defense in the game. And the Celtics have been playing it the last two days. Their climb from 27th to 10th in defensive efficiency over the span of two games is pretty impressive. That's even what though half of it meet, came against the magic. The other that's half what happens came against when you the have heat. a players only meeting. Like the, you, you click, you finally start doing things correct on defense. It's the power of breaking bread with your team. Yeah. And before we go any further, anyone in the audience, you can raise your hand at any point of this discussion. You can ask us a question. You can chat with us if you're in this live room. If you're listening on Spotify, sorry, you can't do that. If you're listening on iTunes later, sorry, you can't do that. But you should subscribe to The Athletic if you don't already. One of the perks is the ability to ask us questions and chat with us in these live rooms, which are awesome. Yeah. But anyway, back to the Celtics defense. You can raise your hand and we will let you talk. But back to the Celtics defense, like, what do you think changed? I don't actually think it was the players only meeting, which I think we have to talk about later because the report that it was uh, emotional, not beneficial and not productive is hilarious to me. But we'll get to that. I don't think we can really credit the players only meeting for turning this defense around. What do you think the biggest reason was uh, for the Celtics kind of just being like you said, going from 27th to what? Uh, what'd you say? 10th? Yeah. That's wild. Which is, that's a crazy turnaround in two games. Um, I think the, the, the thing that stood out the most to me, especially in the heat game was just the commitment to help defense. Like it wasn't that the Celtics weren't making mistakes. They, they made plenty of mistakes, but there was always someone on the back line to help out. And like there was one play when Romeo Langford got beat back door and Robert Williams came over and deflected the pass away. 
And th- those are the types of plays that, that great defenses make. Those are the types of plays that the Celtics weren't making enough of over the first seven games of the season. And and especially against the Heat, like they're tough to stop. They're constantly in motion. They've got a lot of threats. They've they've got their offense had been, I think, the the very best in the league or second best in the league. So it, it was a great performance by the Celtics defense to to hold them. And some of it was just the Heat missing open shots. But I thought, especially considering how poorly the Celtics started offensively, they went scoreless for like the first four minutes. I didn't think they'd ever score. They, I looked at that heat like they kind of I think they were playing a two three zone at that point and they were just or they're switching everything. And it's just like I don't know what the Celtics are going to do because I've seen them go up against that heat zone before and just not score. And so I had some very early concerns when it was just like, oh, it's like a six five ball game and we are six minutes into the game. Yeah, but the Celtics just kind of stuck with it. You know, they were still down seven a few minutes into the second quarter and they just kept plugging away and steps kept staying committed to their defense, which has been an issue for them over the last year and change. Like when things go badly for them, they often get away from what, what actually works. So I I thought that was promising that on the road, on the second night of a back-to-back against a great team that they were able to just kind of stick with the scattering report and continue to do their job, possession of possession that that's that's the type of commitment to you know play by play effort that that they're going to need and i that, it was an impressive win it really was i think another big portion of it is that they stopped doing the switch everything like they they still switched a lot but it just didn't necessarily do uh 1 through 5 and i like that Ime kind of made that adjustment but it just didn't seem like that was working just to be an entirely a strategy you're going to commit to. Um, and so one, I think the first game is like they're playing against the Orlando Magic and like, um, but, and they're, I think the Celtics benefited from both games to stretches where either the Magic or the Heat just didn't make a shot for six minutes. Like that's kind of rare in the NBA. <laughs> um, but I do think they just uh, felt like they're a lot more connected on the defensive end, um, better communication. It felt like, in at least in the first seven games, if you ran a dribble handoff uh, that wasn't directly at the top of the key or uh, against the Celtics, they would go under and whoever was uh, the ball handler would get a wide open three. And they just like, see, like that just didn't Fournier, Yes. For example, Evan Fournier did it a bunch. I think Zach Levine did it a bunch. Uh, It just felt like the go-to move to kind of combat the Celtics def- um, defense. And they just didn't have, they weren't giving up that many wide open threes over the past two nights. Yeah. And, and especially against Miami, that's a feat, right? Because they've got a lot of guys who really move well without the ball and can shoot with range. Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry, especially, but yeah, I just thought the the defense was was great. I, the Magic game, I didn't think the Celtics played all that well. Like the first half was disgusting. I thought they played like eight great minutes of defense at the start of the third quarter. Then the fourth quarter was kind of sloppy again. So I didn't think they played great against the Magic. the 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 Heat game was a much better display. Um, you'll probably say it was because Josh Richardson was out. I'm not going to blame Josh Richardson, but I will give a bunch of credit. To Aaron Neesmith. Like, I just, the guy came in the game, immediately provided energy, provided some spacing as well. But on the defensive end, 
he was just he was the guy following around Tyler Hero, who I think had his first ever bad game against the Celtics. Uh, I have to give some credit to Romeo, too. I think uh, on both ends of the court to get the scoring that they got from their bench is specifically get over 20 points from Neesmith and Romeo combined. When you've talked about basically for the first two weeks of the season, how bad bench lineups have been for the Celtics. Their bench thoroughly beat Miami's bench in that game. And Miami's bench had been, I think, the best in the league statistically up until this point. Um, I don't think it's a surprise that Aaron Neesmith was contributing to that or that Romeo Langford attributed that. I don't think it was a surprise Josh Richardson didn't get any minutes. So uh, maybe I will blame Josh Richardson a little bit. But I do think like it's the thing that I think is most impressive about this uh, win specifically against the Heat is that Jason Tatum still gave you basically nothing. And so... To answer the overall question, I don't know if the Celtics are back because the Celtics are not back until Jason Tatum is like fully playing like Jason Tatum again. Um, but for the Celtics to get that win and Tatum still not playing that well, I think shows you what we thought was going in the season, that they're going to benefit from having a lot of depth and having guys who are productive like Romeo and like Neesmith. I just hope that they continue to get chances uh, when whenever Richardson gets back from whatever whatever is ailing him. Yeah, let's talk about Tatum for a second because that's obviously the the remaining like red flag right now is that Jason Tatum has not been good. He played bad enough that after beating Miami by a lot, he went on Instagram and referred to himself in the third person by his number. It's badass. That's pretty cool. Head up zero. Embrace the struggle. It's a part of it. First of all... That would kind of, I mean, he said good team win, but that would kind of. Yeah, yeah. You, you were uh, poorly quoting him. He did say preface it with good team win. Well, that that would kind of rub me the wrong way if I'm on his team. Like, like, bro, we just beat the Heat. Who cares that you weren't good? You know, like, think think bigger. Think, no, see, think that's, bigger. Oh, I, if you are thinking bigger than, and you were on the Boston Celtics, you know that you need Jason Tatum to be good. So I don't but think then, like then he that, came that back upset. with another, another one that said, no matter what, got a lot to smile about. It's like, yeah, you just beat the heat. You should be smiling. You know, I don't know if I were on his team, that, that would have bugged me. This this might be my my boomer talk that everyone just gets <laughs> mad at me and and wants to slap me. But like, how dare Jason Tatum have individual feelings? Well, <laughs> how dare he be complex and be able to be happy for his team, but still disappointed in himself? I just don't think you share that after a win, you know, like just stick with good team win. That's all you need. Uh, well, but anyway, post. that gets no engagement. Anyway, his his struggles have gotten weird, like just bizarre. And and he's fighting through it. His he can't make layups. I feel yeah, like no, he goes, that's that's the weirdest part is he's like getting to the rim. I thought better in the past two games, but just like missing right handed layups. I feel like he goes through this every season where he just forgets how to make layups. And then it, it takes the, him like a month to make layups again. Is it the start of every season? Because I think we should uh, try to figure out the pattern here. Because it does feel like he starts like slower every single year. Yeah, I feel like like the first month of a season, layups are just very difficult for Jason Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this time he, he hasn't been hitting jumpers either. So it's just kind of all compounding. Um, and I, I, I do feel like he is maybe forcing some of the drives and, and maybe listening too much to, you've got to play bully ball. You've got to 
you know, collect free throws. You got to pick up free throws. It's kind of backfiring on him. You know, he, he's going in hunting for contact instead of actually just trying to make a layup. And I I don't know. It's it's just and he will start to like Jason Tatum is the last thing the Celtics will ever worry about because he's going to be very good. He's going to get back to the level of efficiency he's shown for the rest of his career. But <laughs> it's gotten weird. It's gotten it's gotten strange. And if if he does make layups again, it would probably help the Celtics a little bit. It'd be uh, tremendously beneficial. It's like interesting because I still think he's like making the right read a lot of the times. Uh, but he does draw a lot of attention. It feels like any time and the Heat were really, I think, loading up to him um, and forcing him to make passes or get the ball uh, out of his hands when he hit in the paint. It felt like uh, anytime he did try to kind of force it, it didn't really work out mostly because um, there was just two guys there to kind of defend him and he's not getting foul calls, um, but he hasn't really gotten foul calls at all any point in his career. And the thing that's interesting to me, um, he only had two assists last night, which feels low because I do feel he was like continuing to make the right read, but I don't know how much of it is just like classic Jason Tatum early season struggles or how much of it is like adjusting to the new kind of foul contact. We saw like James Harden was alleged to be struggling with it. And then he kind of broke out of it. But if you look at some stars around the league, like Dame has not started off the season. Well, uh, Devin Booker has not started off the season. Well, Trey young has not started off the season. Well, like these kind of guys. And I, if you, if you, if it's a league wide thing, you would think it's kind of this adjustment to, just be uh, defenders being able to be very aggressive and attack guys with their hands, as I put it earlier in the episode. Um, so I don't know how much weight to kind of put into that, but it's just kind of weird because he is make missing shots that like you would like that aren't related to that whatsoever. Just like missing kind of open twos that you would kind of expect Jason Tatum to make missing layups that um, you would expect him to make. And then his, his three point shooting, like 20, one per 27% from three is just, that's got nothing to do with contact. That's just, this guy's in a slump. So I think it's yeah. a, it, it, even the two, it's like he's shooting 42.7% from two point range. Like that's just bizarre for a guy who's never shot worse than 48% from two for his career and shot better than 50% last year. And that like, obviously it, it's not going to stay like that forever. But nine games is kind of not, not a huge sample, obviously, but it's enough that like these struggles are real and and he's got to find a way out of this funk. Even he's missing free throws like like shooting free throws, 74.5 percent. That's way worse than his career average. So it's kind of impacted everything right now. 19 for 70 from three. He's leading the league in field goal attempts and sh- shooting like just awful true shooting 46 percent true shooting it's it's been like super inefficient so far and his assist rate has dipped like usage rate is up uh, free throw rate is down like there aren't many good statistical indicators that you can find from jason tatum right now he needs glasses he clearly has uh, <laughs> his sight has uh, suffered he doesn't know it yet he doesn't want to admit it but just get the man some contacts and everything's going to be fixed because the free throw shooting just doesn't make it's like 
that's weird. Like that's just uh, you don't think a, a guy who was an All NBA level player uh, would just all of a sudden get bad at free throws. So I don't know what's going on there, um, but. It was a sneaky move by you because I, I also in that statement, I brought up the great positive contributions of Romeo and Neesmith. And you, classic media move, just wanted to focus on the negatives. But you know what? Let's let's focus on the positives and talk about Neesmith and Langford. Like gave you they both gave you just very solid uh, 27 minutes from Romeo uh 18 minutes from Neesmith, both knocked down multiple three-point attempts. Romeo showed you a little playmaking, like getting into the paint, uh, drawing fouls. Neesmith just flying in, causing turnovers. Uh, what was up with the Heat last night in just in terms of their turnovers? Like, I all I heard from Scal is that they're the best team in the league, but it seems like they threw the ball away on every single possession. It was kind of absurd. And I'm going to credit Aaron Neesmith for most of them, but 18 turnovers for the Heat last night. The Celtics are a defensive juggernaut. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> no, I, I thought I thought Neesmith was very promising. Langford was very promising. Langford just continues to shoot pretty well from three, which would be nice for the Celtics, obviously, if that continues. And then Neesmith, like, I just feel like he's the type of player they need. And for whatever reason, he didn't earn Udoka's trust right away. He didn't earn Brad's trust last year either at the beginning of the season. But by the end of the season last year, like he was pretty promising. And for him to come back and not be in the rotation at all, he's just kind of digging his way out of the doghouse now. I, I just feel like he does a lot of things that they need. He's going to give you tons of energy. He's going to be up in somebody's shit like there were there was a possession he was guarding Bam out of bio like near the near half court and just like up in Bam's chest and and like that's the type of energy that that can be contagious that can make a difference and then he's a shooter and and the shooting is the most important piece like he's a shooter with size and athleticism that seems like pretty good formula for a helpful basketball player, especially on a team that needs shooting and size on the wing. So I think Neesmith is going to end up getting more minutes at some point. I don't know whether that's now. Um, I don't know whether it'll be later in the season, but I feel like he's, he's a piece that they could really use as long as he's okay. And I think he is okay. Like, I think he's not a bad basketball player. I think he showed that at the end of last season. And he finally got a chance, and what do you know? It helps to have a super energetic six-five shooter on the court. What if he's just a terrible practice player? Like he's the ultimate gamer. When it comes into the actual games, that's when he shines. But in practice, he stays messing up. So the coaches don't have faith in him, but they don't realize that it's when it's game time. Green Bean's here to play. My theory is that they won't let him practice because <laughs> he's too reckless. Because they're afraid he'll injured Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So part of the reason why he hasn't been able to gain Udoka's trust is that Udoka literally has not seen him practice one time. <laughs> I mean, it's, Just very, my theory. it's very fair because he literally is falling on the floor doing crazy things every single time. I think his spacing is just three-point shooting. I think him and Romeo as well, but Neesmith feels like just a more established three-point shooter. Romeo is a guy who seems like he's emerged as someone who will reliably knock it down from the corners. But 
The one play that sticks out in my mind, it was just a simple like Dennis Schroeder drove, took two steps in, the defense collapsed a little bit, one pass to Neesmith on the wing, and he was able to knock down a three. Like if the guy has to spread, like stay one or two steps closer to Neesmith because of that, like that just opens up the defense so much more for guys like Schroeder or anyone who's driving. And if they can just have a guy like Neesmith on the wing, um, who will be able to knock down that shot. It just feels like the Celtics offense will be much more dynamic. And then who knows what happens. He got a foul called on him for trying to be too aggressive on a free throw rebound, which is just absolutely fantastic. Like that's the kind of uh hustle. Um He also had a play where he got the steal, got it to Romeo who missed a dunk. And then like Neesmith fell down and somehow managed to be the guy who finished the putback. Like after falling down, causing the steal, he's the one hustling. Uh, for a team that was really struggling with transition defense, it feels like having a kind of guy who's going to bust his ass to get back or bust his ass to be on the fast break is pretty super helpful. I, how many times did the Heat try like the home run passes that didn't work because they were kind of outrageously ambitious in their thing? But I think Neesmith was back there a couple of times, like jumping with Bam or just like getting into the play to kind of create things just to to make things happen. His recklessness seems to work out for the Celtics, at least defensively. Yeah, he came in and immediately was tumbling into the first row of stands. Like, like I would say 10 seconds after he checked into the game, Aaron Neesmith was tumbling into a fan in the fir- first row. And that's just kind of how it goes with Aaron Neesmith. He's, he's going to get his shots up. He's going to endanger everyone around him. And he's probably going to be, you know, pretty helpful to the Celtics at some point this season. And who knows? It might be now. It might be later. I I I actually I have faith that Aaron Neesmith is pretty good at basketball. And I have faith that he will provide a fair amount of what the Celtics bench needs. Um once he gets a chance. And maybe that's now after maybe he he earned it with with his minutes against the Heat. But We'll see. We'll see. Peyton Pritchard was basically a DMP. Um, It's too bad for Pritchard, man, because Pritchard had a very good rookie season, but he just, Schroeder's going to play a lot and he can't play with Schroeder. And so there's just not a fit for him on this team, which is too bad. Like he's, he's good. He's good. If you, I like don't feel as bad for him because it kind of makes sense because Schroeder's still good like I think Neesmith and Romeo playing over Richardson Richardson's not really giving you that much um you like how I got it back to shitting on Josh Richardson that's a pretty yeah that's one of your favorite pastimes yeah no it didn't it's been like one of a real go-to thing for me this year it's been fantastic this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go to the fine uh, folks in the audience. James S. Welcome to welcome on stage. What do you have to say, James? Yeah. yeah. How's it going? Um, good, man. Good. So I was actually lucky enough to get... a. I was at the game last night and I had really good seats and I've never sat as close to the um, floor before, but a couple of things I noticed one, like Romeo is an absurd athlete. I, I, I think it was clear when he was out there that he was much faster than everybody else. Um, and two, it, has anybody talked about Tatum? Like he's definitely bigger than he was last year. I'm just wondering if like his strength, maybe his shot hasn't caught up to or adjusted to his strength yet. Wow, is he too I big for the game? I love that. Too strong, too muscular. <laughs> well, you know, it takes a while to adjust. If he was hitting the weight room, not you know putting up as many shots, you never know. I love I, that theory. I Jason love that theory. Tatum I love too strong for the game. I love these live app things because we can get people who were at the road game last night calling in with their um, live analysis. And you know what? Those are two things I didn't get from watching the game last night. Jason Tatum, absolutely huge. Trying to muscle his the ball through the rim, gonna need to adjust. I love that theory, um, but Romeo, I did like I, it. Doesn't stand out to me when I'm watching the game that like I, I clearly he's a good athlete, but um, I don't know, Jay. What do you think about Romeo being the best athlete on the court? I'm not convinced. <laughs> yeah, how many he, games have you been to? Huh? He's de- he's definitely a, a plus athlete. Uh, like the the putback dunk he had was was impressive like just straight up went when put it back after Tatum missed a layup I believe but oh the Brandon Bass two-handed slam yeah yeah you don't see wings do that too often so I appreciated that um if he is the best athlete on the court he should probably use it a little more often to get to the rim and and stuff like that so to be fair to our uh caller I uh, he did not say best athlete on the court I may have extended that uh he just said he was very, very athletic, um, which I think is fair. But, Romeo, also, also to the point, I, I think the Celtics have a chance to have a really athletic, fast, fun second unit. Like Dennis Schroeder is one of the faster guys. In that the, guy's like, the fastest he can guy on fly. the team. Yeah, he can fly. Langford and Neesmith, both, you know, they're they're long, they're athletic, and they're young. Like. If if those guys emerge, Neesmith and Langford, then the the bench should be very athletic, and they should just go, you know, like just get stops, get out and run. Hope that Aaron Neesmith doesn't endanger too many people on his own team, at least, and and just have fun with that group. Like Schroeder, Schroeder is going to be the driver of the offense, and just. Put some pieces around him. Um, I, I felt like like the second unit, that was the first game that they they really, really made, like turned a game around for the Celtics. And they haven't always been helpful. They haven't normally been helpful. But they were really, really good against a Heat team that that's bench has made a huge difference in other games especially with hero heroes on like the Chris Middleton all-stars for guys who never missed a shot against the Celtics, but he actually missed shots against the Celtics yesterday. Um, 
which was surprising, very surprising. But yeah, I I I feel like there's a lot on the Celtics bench, but they're like pieces that are tough to fit together, and so Emei's got to figure out the right formula every night. We actually saw over the past two games a couple occasions. They didn't go on for too long, but some full bench units uh, in both the Magic and the Heat game, which I thought were going to be immediate signs of disaster, but they able to hold their own. Maybe not a full bench unit in the first game. Maybe Al Horford was out there, um, but just certainly relying on the bench. You know, probably because it was a back to back. But uh, for as bad as the bench units have been, they have not been great. Um, it kind of makes sense to me that, like, if your lineups um, with Tatum in the bench or your lineups with Jalen Brown in the bench are just not effective, why not just go full bench and give those two guys a rest? Like, uh, if if they can if they can be just as bad as they are. Uh, or just as good as they are with uh, one of them guys. I don't know. It would be, I didn't think we'd see a lot of moments with no Tatum and no Brown um, on the court, but it feels like they've happened more often over the past two games. So um, we'll see what's happening with that moving forward. We're going to go to Nathaniel B right now. Nathaniel, how's it going? Uh, going pretty well. Thanks. Um, I'm curious what you're, what you've seen out of time Lord this year. Um, I had really high hopes for him coming into the year. I, I'm not going to say he's been a disappointment by any means. He's been pretty good, but he seems like he's the X factor or one of the X factors aside from Tatum uh, improving, let's just say, his play this year uh, to the Celtics really hitting a, a somewhat realistic ceiling. And it seems to me he's trying to add a mid-range jumper. He's definitely cut down on his fouling. And what else is different about his play this year uh, compared to last year, in your guys' opinion? I think, I mean, first of all, I've been pretty impressed by Robert Williams. I don't think he's always gotten the same opportunities he did last year, especially around the rim. Like, the Celtics have to do a better job of of getting him in lob situations, getting him easy buckets around the rim because that, that's one area. If you look at his per 36 minutes, he's he's scoring about five points per 36 minutes less than he did last year. Um, I, I think I've been impressed specifically by his hustle and and by the way he's continued to improve defensively especially when they're not in the switch everything i think the switch everything really took him out of his comfort zone and that's probably going to be a a way to use robert williams in the future once he gets used to it but i think getting used to it has been tough for him and switching out on guards he hasn't always been close enough he sometimes he gets blown by um i i just don't know if he's ready yet for the switch everything. But I think when they've gone to other defensive styles, I think his activity has really stood out. I think his hustle has really stood out. Uh, I, I I thought he made some really good help defensive plays against the Heat that, you know, kept kept Bam in check, kept Jimmy in check, kept kept some guys in check that are handfuls. And so I've been I actually think Williams has done a pretty good job, even though it hasn't been like the eye-opening start that that maybe other people had hoped for. And then the other part of it is he's playing 31 minutes a game, and that itself is a, a huge positive for the Celtics that that he's been able to play those minutes and be productive during those minutes and give effort during those minutes. Um, and I, I think if if he can stay on the court for that long, like that's a 
that's a really good sign for the Celtics moving forward. Yeah, I think his effort on the glass has been kind of the thing that stood out to me the most, just keeping balls alive, um, especially on the offensive glass. And it feels like when he does get a rebound, he knows exactly where he's going with it. And I just think his hustle has been, um, even though the Celtics have struggled uh, somewhat um, in terms of rebounding, I think he's done a good job there. It's interesting to me. He's going, he's gone, jumped up from 18 minutes a game to like 30 minutes a game, but he's only averaging just under six field goal attempts a game, despite like adding 12 minutes. So the Celtics are just not necessarily like getting him the basketball. And I don't know if he, you necessarily want him, um, taking that mid range jump shot. Like it was cool when he had the little step back. Uh, and I was like, Ooh, time Lord doing that. Uh, but it also feels like at least in the heat game, like teams are playing to kind of take away that lob. Uh, because if you're playing against the Celtics, you're going to kind of crash the paint and force them to kind of, uh, you crack down on that with either like the, someone tagging him or, um, just leaving their guys on the inside and forcing them to take threes. So I don't know if like the lob is going to, is there as much, but it certainly feels like they've, they had opportunities to get it, but it's not like an emphasis of their offense. And so I think they could do more to try to just get going downhill with a uh, ball handler and time Lord going to the rim. But it's, it is weird to kind of see his, his field goal attempts be so low. Like you mentioned, um, like per, if you do per 36 minutes or per a hundred possessions, his attempts are way down uh, this season, despite his minutes being way up, which is just not uh, exactly what you want to see for him. But I think, I think he's been pretty solid so far. Yeah. And he's got, his offense is always going to be a function of what everyone else is doing, right? Like if they're running pick and rolls and he's getting open, like that's going to be because of the offense. And he's a great finisher, obviously, but it's not going to be because of something he did to create for himself. Um, And so I I think that has been an area where the Celtics probably haven't done well enough. They should get him in those opportunities, rolling down the middle of the lane more often. Um, So I, I think that's an area that they definitely need to do more to create those those shots for him, but that's not his fault. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I think I, I think he's been pretty good. I I, I think Robert Williams, especially I, I say it all the time, but the hustle level that he shows and the sh- the shape that he's in from where he was when he first got to the Celtics is just crazy. It's crazy how much work he's put into to improve at at those areas and be better on a possession to possession basis to the point where, you know, now if you're projecting forward, like he could be a piece of the Celtics when they ultimately do build the contender that they hope to build. If they do do that, Um, like he'd be one of the guys you'd be like, yep, Robert Williams could be on that team. He could play a big role on that team. It could be him or a 45-year-old Al Horford. Who knows? The guy uh, will never age. Um, Hirsch, are you – we actually accidentally put you on stage. Are you Are you in here hanging out? Yeah, yeah. You know, just sharing the spotlight with you guys. Uh, I appreciate it. It's uh, – I, pre- I saw that I let you in there. I appreciate you not yeah, interrupting Jay or myself. It's uh, kind of what we do here on this program. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Uh, I'm a longtime listener. Been listening to you guys since you're the Rain and Jays. Thank you so much for everything and all the entertainment and analysis. Um, Thank you, man. That's cool. 
Um, so my question, you know, the last two games have been pretty nice from the defensive perspective. It looks like they've really rescued us from the doldrums of the season. What have you guys been seeing the defense do differently over this little Florida road trip? Is it is it more effort? Are the guys executing the scheme? Uh, are the Heat and the Magic just really bad at making shots? What's been? I think it's been a little a combination of all three. Like I think the effort has been there. I think the scheme has adjusted to stop switching everything, and I think they've really benefited from two stretches, the third quarter in the magic game and what was it? The second quarter in the heat game where they just, the other team didn't make any open shots. And so sometimes you need that to kind of uh, go on a two game road winning streak, but, and maybe the, the better defensive effort led to like the other teams not getting in a rhythm, but I think it's, I don't, it's a cop out answer, but I don't think there's any way you can pin it down on just one of those things. Yeah. The last time the Celtics had held two teams in the seventies in a row, was 2012 back when they had still Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and they had Brandon Bass on that squad, Keon Dooling. So it has been a long time since they've done that. So it's impressive no matter who you're playing against. Um, that said, the, the magic like just are not very good at basketball. And I thought as soon as the Celtics turned it up in that game, Orlando didn't really have much chance to score, which is like that's that's a good sign for the Celtics that when they do turn it up, when they are locked in, they can really choke choke a team like that out. Um, and then I thought that I thought the Heat game though was was the Celtics' best defensive performance of the season, and they had a pretty good performance in that double overtime game against Washington defensively. They had a pretty good performance against Orlando, especially during certain parts of it. But the 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 Heat just they make you guard so much. Like you've got to guard Duncan Robinson flying around a screen. You got to guard Kyle Lowry running a pick and roll. You got to guard Jimmy Butler being as physical as pretty much any wing in the league. You got to guard Bam Adebayo running offense as a center. There's just so much you have to guard against those guys. And I thought the Celtics were just solid the whole game. And that that to me like. That was a mature defensive performance. That was a complete defensive performance. And so I, I think that you could look at the Magic game and be like, okay, it was it was Franz Wagner and Cole Anthony, you know, like like who cares? But but to do it against Miami, even though Miami did did miss some shots that they'd probably make a lot of the time, I, I think that was a, a very, very impressive performance and and maybe a sign that the Celtics defense isn't as big a disaster as it looked like for the first seven games. I think there's, there's one simple answer. And I think our next guest will probably agree with me. I think it was, uh, it was all Aaron Neesmith. Is that right, Richard? Would you, would you agree, Richard, that it was a, a Neesmith? If, if this is the same Richard for our favorite Richard caller from South Carolina. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm biased. I'm obviously biased. But yeah, I mean, look, look, I'm not calling so I told you so because you guys were already saying it when I jumped in. But, you know, this early in the season, even if he did it, for, like I said, 15, 20 more games, you know, his job is to figure out who can play together, who can't. And to me, it's not a it's not he's not saying someone can't play, someone can't play. But once somebody shows you something and then if you refuse <laughs> to use that piece, then it's on you. Right. 
for, for those for those listening that don't understand this this is Aaron Neesmith's old AAU coach right here my man Richard and hey, uh let me he came on the, the show before Aaron Neesmith's big game and said that, that Neesmith needed to play and that Emil Doka was a moron for not playing <laughs> yeah yeah hey and, and by the way by the way real quick story so how do you pronounce the coach's name I don't want to butcher it Udoka Emil Udoka okay so so um Way back in the day, look this up. You can't make this up. So I'm just a local guy in Charleston, South Carolina, and I've just always invested in youth sports. I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not going to donate. But if you got a sports team, I've always coached. I've always sponsored. And so, you know, College Charleston basketball with Anthony Johnson, we're a big sponsor, Citadel baseball, Clemson football, whatever. And I get hit up one time, which I thought was his most harebrained idea. These dudes came in my office. I'll never forget Cedric Weber, um, uh, um, Delaney, I can't remember his um, first name. Anyway, two kids that were stars at the College of Charleston played with Anthony. And um, and they came in, they were going to do this. NBDL is coming up with this local minor league, and it just sounded like the biggest crock of somebody <laughs> trying to sponsor something. And, and the third dude that was in the room, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I'm 99% sure the third guy in the room that was pitching me uh, was the guy that's your head coach right now? He was on the <laughs> roster. He was on the roster with Cedric and uh, and um, uh, Thad, Thad Delaney, and um, and I think Cedric and Thad both went on to, to play. And I, obviously, your guy did. But but anyway, they came in. Here's the point, guys. You know how much I paid. I was their leading donor. They came in to pitch me to buy ten season tickets to a team that has not even not even started a game yet. I haven't even had a game yet. And asked me to buy 10 season tickets, and I could send all my people, be right there on the front row. You know how much it cost me for 10 season tickets? <laughs> Too much. $1,000. Dude, you nailed it. $97.50 for the front row per ticket. I gave him $1,000 and told him to keep the change. And um, I just think back to that, and I'm like, you know, so your coach needs to remember where he started, and – he was – that was the dude on the bench fighting for minutes, right? So I would think at the end of the day, he more than anybody realized, like, that was a collection of people. You didn't know any of them. So whoever produced got minutes. Your dude produced. He got minutes. I didn't know who he was. Cedric and Thad were local guys that sold tickets. But but your guy played really, really well. And if I'm not mistaken, he got promoted to the Lakers. And uh, you, you guys will know the rest of his history. But anyway – I just think it's it's ironic that there's a a little kid from Charleston that uh that, that actually is probably gonna save his job. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It it is always fantastic to hear from you, Richard. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'll keep I'll keep in touch. It's be a it's be a fun season. I will say one thing generically about the team. Last year, were you guys up there when the Miami Heat had the back to back games? Uh, in, in Boston at the end of the season. I want to say it was last. Oh, yeah. I stomped him. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was up there, and I sat right there. I don't know. didn't feel like it was 50 people in the stands. And uh, and and watching that, to see what they did last night, I never would have thought. Like, it just feel like the matchup, no matter what they tried, even with Kemba, even with Pete, you know, parts that aren't there right now, they were so outclassed. So it, it does my heart good to see that they, they, they focused on defense, focused on sharing the ball. And, oh, by the way, 
that's a team that I thought it might take them five years to get a, a W off of them. So, so anyway, things are looking up for the Celtics. <laughs> All right, the Celtics thanks, are back. The Celtics are back. I did look it up. Ime uh, was on the Charleston Logators, a, a pre G League team, and then did get promoted to the Los Angeles Lakers. So, a good chance he was there. Uh, you know, pitching just just chilling the Charleston Low Gators. Yeah, uh, like he has to keep playing Neesmith at this point, right? After a game like that, I don't care if Richardson's fully healthy. You still have to give this uh, this kid a chance. Yeah, I, I think I think you absolutely have to give him minutes. Um, you absolutely have to play him some, and then I I think for Eme, part of it will be how small do you go off the bench. You know, do, do you keep playing Grant Williams always at, at power forward with the bench? Do you go with Schroeder, Richardson, Neesmith, and Lankford instead with a center? Can you get away with that? So there are a lot of things may still has to figure out. I, I do think he, spent, he has spent part of this early season just kind of experimenting. And I think he wanted to do a lot of it in preseason. But they didn't really get a chance to have a preseason because Jalen Brown and Al Horford got COVID. And so their regulars just were never there. Um, and so some of the switch switch everything stuff was just kind of him putting that in so that they would be used to it for later on. And I think he leaned on that more than he intended to do early because of that. And I think some of the rotation stuff too, like he's just trying stuff right now. And, and Brad always took what, like half the season, three quarters of the season of just kind of experimenting with different lineups, seeing what worked before kind of settling on something and and settling on a formula, finding finding a way he wanted to play. And I feel like he may sort of use this early, the first nine games as not an audition, um, but like he's not going to go all out to just get every single win. And he's not necessarily going to use be short sighted and think like, okay, let's let's do this, 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 and this, so we can beat you know the Washington Wizards in late October. Uh, <laughs> he's more like, okay, let's let's this is a long journey. Let's let's put some stuff in now. Let's work on this while we're getting better and hopefully picking up some wins along the way. Would you say he's a uh, process over results guy? Yeah, he, he seems to be a kaizen guy. He seems to be, and not surprising that he uh, is a Kaizen guy, considering who his boss is. But I did think, um, one, people were just flipping out. I, I understand after the Bulls with like loss, like that's a pretty bad loss. You lose three in a row. But people, it's like the Celtics are officially bad. They need to trade Marcus Smart. Is Ime really a coach in this league? And it's like pretty short leeway for a rookie head coach. Like. Rookie head coaches have never really been uh, great in the NBA. The most recent examples of like successful rookie head coaches I can think of are Steve Nash. And that's because he was coaching uh, the Nets and Kevin Durant and James Harden, Kyrie Irving. And then Nick Nurse, who didn't Dwayne Casey win coach of the year, like on that exact, the previous year. It's not like he was inheriting a terrible team. And And then he got Kawhi Leonard on top of it. Oh, yeah. You know, adding a giant star to your team. And so... People were really uh, kind of flipping out. Maybe it's just because of what happened last year, but I think Ime should be uh, – I like that he's uh, taking the Kaizen approach too. And uh, the Kaizen king himself, Brad Stevens, had an amazing spin zone 
before the Magic game saying he felt a whole lot better about the two and five team than he did about the eight and three team that started off last year. And that is some classic process versus results stuff that, um, uh, you know, it's just, it just warms my heart. I I enjoyed that quote too, especially Brad was always big on like the structure of the team is, is that would, that would be one of his go-to moves when either they were hot and he'd be like, yeah, but like, I'm not sure about our structure right now. Or when they were cold, he'd be like, yeah, but our structure is looking better. guys." (laughs) The (laughs) inner skeleton process is fantastic. That that was always one of Brad's go-to's. So I, I appreciate that he went back to that this time. Um, and then it was funny because eBay before the Orlando game came out and said, yeah, but like our last two games, like we've shown a lot of, a lot of growth. <laughs> it's like, bro, you're just coming off a fourth quarter where you were up 14 and lost by 14. Yeah. But that third quarter to get them up 14 was pretty good. <laughs> and the second quarter when Jalen Brown went wild, but but so he's kind of, and I I feel like he's also taken a crash course in like <laughs> so how Boston media one hundred and one yeah Boston media and the NBA media landscape in general that even if you like if you say something mildly critical of a player that can turn into a big deal if you say if Marcus Smart comes out and says something obvious but something that he shouldn't have said publicly that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown need to become better passers like that. That's going to become a big deal. If players meet with each other for a few minutes, that's going to be a big deal. Um, so I think Ime has kind of taken a crash course in the importance of media relations and has, giving has, off. I, I think he like, learned that his words have power. I mean, he said Jalen's performance was mind boggling. And what does Jalen come out? 34 points, 28 points, 28 points, and then 17 points yesterday uh, before he kind of hurt his hamstring, shooting 42% from three. So maybe it was the exact fire that Jalen needed. Maybe Ime is really a Jedi. And I, I thought that he put maybe some unnecessary s- stress on the Celtics earlier by reacting as harshly as he did. And I thought that kind of amped up the the feeling among the fan base that the Celtics were failing. I thought he handled the, the smart thing really well by saying like, yeah, like Marcus (laughs) said stuff that I've been yelling to you guys for months now that, that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown need to take huge steps forward as playmakers for this team to, to reach its ceiling. And, he was like, yeah, well, like we've said that stuff every single day. We say it in every single team practice. We say it all the time. Like that's something that's a drum. He may has been beating since he got the job. And so he was like, yeah, I'm not going to overreact yeah. to that. Um, it, it's kind of wild that we're like as fans and I'll take responsibility for all fans. It's like we we criticize athletes for like going into athlete speak and not saying anything of value or like not really. Uh, are just giving cliche quotes. But then anytime an athlete says something that's fairly obvious, like Marcus Smart just like was open and honest about uh, what he was thought was and was just like, didn't even say anything that controversial. It's like, this is like front page of the globe. This Marcus Smart thing is a sign of like the wild team's in trouble. Like, 
it's just absolutely ridiculous. Anytime anyone's like not completely speaking in cliches or is somewhat honest about criticism of his own team, it's like, wow, how dare he? How dare Marcus Smart? The amount of outrage that uh, online I saw, I guess that's what uh, kind of being on the internet is these days. But uh, people were furious with Marcus Smart for saying something that everyone else has been saying uh, for many months now. It's it's fascinating. I did think he, I, he probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> he definitely not, shouldn't have like, said that. It, it's not like he said like they're like anything wild. It's not like it was like, oh, we had no idea that uh, no one had ever thought like said this before until Marcus Light whistleblowed the entire situation. It's just like, yeah, maybe maybe they need to have a better fourth quarter offense. Yeah. All right. Let's Pretty go fair. now to Sean G, who's been waiting a while. Sean, how are you doing? How's it going, Sean? Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I was just wondering, uh, I've been noticing that Grant obviously didn't have a great offensive night yesterday, but he had the hit the big screen. Um, I forget who. I think it was a screen for Romeo Langford. And I feel like he's been doing a lot more on just getting in a position both on offense and, and setting good screens um, and wondering, you know, just what you guys are seeing uh, from – yeah, I, I think he's had a promising start to the season. I think obviously the three point shooting stands out shooting 44 percent right now from downtown. If he can keep that up and make teams guard him, that's going to be extremely helpful. I think he still gets beat off the dribble too often. Like theoretically, he's a supremely versatile defender. Um, uh, yeah, but you that, don't really want to switch him on to a point guard. Like yeah, that would be going to work. He's a two through five guy, not a not a one through five guy. That would be like the one area that I think he needs to improve the most. If if he could actually be a switch everything guy and be able to keep point guards in front of him, that would be a huge deal. Uh, so that that's the one area that I, I think that he should really focus on the most. And may, maybe he'll never get there. Maybe he just doesn't have the foot speed. Maybe that's just not something in his career trajectory but I, I think a, a lot of what he's done has been promising you know like the 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 scoring efficiency um some of the like he's had a little bit more freedom it feels like to make plays this year for for other guys and i i think he's actually got probably more to show in that sense um but he's been pretty solid to start the season yeah, uh, if you look at just like it's very still very small sample size, but although he had a bad stretch, one bad stretch against the Heat, he had the time when they had won the the jump ball and he got the ball and just threw it ahead for an awful turnover. Um, he still has moments like that, but I think he's just been very solid, and uh, I think the three point shooting does a lot for him. Um, and allows you like to play him at the four. Like I thought for at some points last year is like, Oh, he's only going to be effective as this kind of small ball five. But if you look at some of their lineups, like in just in terms of net rating, it's still very small sample size, but one with him time Lord, and then Marcus Jalen and Jason is one of their kind of higher rated lineups. It's only played 22 minutes together. I don't want to say like it's crazy, but you can get away with playing Grant at the four. And that's kind of like the exact position the Celtics need is just someone who can come in and play backup four. So the the one stat, the one stat that stands out to me most is personal fouls. His personal fouls have gone way down. He's not hacking as much as he used to. That was a big issue for him. Like he'd come in and foul someone. Sometimes it, it 
the other team would be in the bonus and he'd be fouling out near the three three point arc or now near half court even and you'd be like grant like well, <laughs> just stop hacking and uh he's hacked less this year which is i think very very good for the celtics yeah uh like he at the very first start uh, first couple of games of the season is like oh wow he might be the the best young guy on the team i think maybe he's come back to earth uh, he's still kind of in his role he's not going to be uh get the big minutes over i think romeo or neesmith but i think he's solid and like just a, a good option at backup four right now which is really all the celtics need him to be uh finally i think a final call of the day we're going to go to jonathan r jonathan how are you doing hey yeah thanks um I don't know if it's Kaizen or not, but it's definitely making some people irate, most notably maybe Keith Smith. Uh, if you guys want to maybe give me your thoughts on um, Schroeder's tendency to walk the dog. <laughs> uh, it definitely is. It, it may be considered a low gators move, in my opinion. Ooh, <laughs> I love that question. A perfect way to end uh, uh, the episode. Jay, what's your take on uh, walking the dog? Dennis Schroeder does it any chance he gets. <laughs> it kind of cracks me up. He's a <laughs> he's a big walk the dog guy. He does it and on side out of bounds. Yeah, he just he just <laughs> wants more more possessions. You know, he just wants to be out there soak soak up a little more time on the court. He doesn't want the clock to be running. Uh, I'm I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, although sometimes it is a little much. It's fine until he le- it leads to his first turnover. Um, and it's, he's walking that slippery slope. He's walking that tightrope, but like, I don't, <laughs> it's just funny to me at this point. Uh, you know, Dennis is going to be Dennis. Uh, it seemed like he got rid of the stripe in his hair and they won two games, just saying. Um, but he's going to be number 71. He's going to be the fastest guy in the court. And you know, you got to let Dennis be Dennis. Uh, and so I have no problem with the dog walking. Uh, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's fantastic until, Someone just comes in and takes the ball from him and like they get an easy layup. Then I might be a little upset. I think Dennis needs to figure out a way to raise his field goal percentage from 36.9%. That's he's a, missing a lot of layups that I just like. That's he's a more floating to the rim. And then it's just like seems like easy right handed layups that he's just not not really figuring out. Yeah, he's shooting a Jeff Teague in 39.7% oh, from two point range right now. We, we, there's no need to bring Teague into this. And he, I, I, like Schroeder brings life to the Celtics offense. He, he, he makes them dynamic. He, he's, he's been a, a manufacturer of offense for them. He can just get an easy bucket. It feels like, uh, can get to the rim with appropriate spacing, just like has that quickness to be able to just beat a guy off his dribble and get you an easy layup. I hope we would make more layups, but yeah, he's definitely been a needed spark of just like, oh, that's a, that's like a quick six points that the Celtics otherwise weren't going to get. Yeah, and that's another reason why I think Neesmith, back to the Neesmith thing, like Schroeder needs space. Give Schroeder space and he can cook because he can get by just about anyone. He's so fast, but he needs appropriate space and Neesmith could help there. Back to the Neesmith thing. Always comes back to Neesmith. All right, but before we go, I do want to talk about the players-only meeting. Um just because the Woj report that it was emotional, not productive, and not beneficial is absolutely hilarious to me. How did Woj get that? 
Did he get two sources to confirm that? Jay, explain to me how journalism works. And if it was a players only meeting, did he get two players from the team to confirm that it was emotional, not beneficial and not productive? How do you go on television and say that? Explain to me how this works, Jay. I, I am not going to sit here and tell you how Adrian Wojnarowski did his job. Uh, but that was... Uh, do you think it was a players-only meeting or do you think it was just a casual dinner with the fellas? Uh, it's either or. Was it, was it a crisis meeting or was it just breaking bread uh, and they got to the restaurant a little early? I did love how Al Horford put it. He's like, yeah, it was nice to break bread with everyone. <laughs> so much fun to just break bread with these guys <laughs> when really it sounds like they had a pretty pretty heart-to-heart chat about the Celtics issues right now. I mean, that's why you break bread. So everyone's uh, feeling good, comfortable, well-fed when you discuss the kind of the more serious issues. Yeah. Hey, 2-0 since the players meeting. 2-0 since the team dinner players meeting unproductive chat, whatever you want to call it. They're 2-0 with the best defense in the league during that time. There you go. There you go. All right, everyone. Um, That's going to wrap it up for us. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, subscribe. Subscribe to The Athletic if you want to participate in one of these live shows. We seem to be doing a lot of them and we'll continue to do a lot of them as the season goes on. So if you want to ask us a question, subscribe to The Athletic. Um, Just subscribe to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Jay, is Marcus Smart getting a bench tech potable? Oh, it sure is. That was lovely.